are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Today we are in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I'm reading from the Scripture Journal. If you haven't gotten one of these, you can actually run out really fast and go down and get it right now before Joey starts. Acts 1, 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the word of the Lord. Well, every year right around this time, the world celebrates an important uh, anniversary. Now, I don't mean Memorial Day. That that's a very important holiday and actually much more important than what I'm about to talk about. Uh, and I don't mean the Indy 500 either, as important as that is. And shout out, by the way, to everybody who's watching this later or getting it in the app because you're at the, the race course, race grounds. What do you call it? Track. Track. It's a real Elmer Fudd moment right there. Uh, <laughs> Everyone who's at the track today, I am talking about, you can, this will explain why I don't know what a race course is, uh, I am talking about the 40th anniversary of the epic conclusion of the Star Wars saga. May 25th, 1983, Return of the Jedi lands in theaters, finally culminating Luke Skywalker's hero's journey of standing up against the evil empire. I was three months old, and I remember it clearly. I don't remember it clearly. Actually, I don't remember a time when I was ever not, as a child, obsessed with Star Wars. Uh, I dressed up as a Jedi for Halloween and other times, but mostly for Halloween, like 10 years in a row. And I, I remember clearly doing one informational speech in high school speech class on the seven forms of lightsaber combat. Yeah, high school, yeah. Um, I loved it, I loved the movies, and then the prequels came out, and I got even more obsessed. Uh, I was either in high school or early college, when, I think high school when the first one came out, and friends kept wanting to go, and I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And so I went and saw it seven times in theaters, the first prequel. Then Attack of the Clones came out three years later, and I went and saw that one 14 times with college buddies, and you know, every, anyway, everybody wanted to see it, and I wanted to see it again too. And then Revenge of the Sith came out, and I saw it once on my honeymoon. Thanks for that. <laughs> Only once, because my wife was not interested. I made her watch all of the movies before we got married, and she fell asleep in every single one. Now, the prequels, I'm willing to admit, were not that great. But they did do one very important thing. They completely changed the meaning of the original trilogy. Completely changed it. It's no longer about Luke Skywalker's hero's journey of standing up to the evil empire. With all six movies, you know, once you know the backstory, the origin story of it, with all six movies, you realize, oh, this is a story about fathers and sons. This is about Anakin Skywalker and his rise, his fall, and ultimately his redemption when he throws off his identity as Darth Vader in order to become for Luke the father that he himself never had. 
the prequels, the origin story, the backstory changes the whole way that we watch the original story, the way we understand the original trilogy itself. Uh, learning the backstory changes the meaning of the whole story, which may be why so many of the movies and TV shows and books and whatever that are coming out right now are prequels or origin stories or backstories. It's either that or it's just low-hanging fruit for the studios. They know that people are going to come out to these movies, probably more the second one than the first one. But it seems like every franchise, DC, Marvel, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, they're, they're all like, you love this story, well, then you're really going to love... The backstory, even 101 Dalmatians got a backstory, right? As if we, I mean, her literally, her name was Cruella Devil. And we're like, well, we need to explain how she got that way. Now, it, but knowing the backstory, knowing the origin story, changes the way you understand the original story. Or put it another way, that the backstory makes sense of today's story. Knowing the backstory, knowing the origin story, knowing the prequels, knowing the backstory helps you make sense of and understand today's story. That's as true of Darth Vader as it is of Faith Church. And it's why we're launching into a two and a half year long study of the backstory of the church. The origin story of the church. I know two and a half years sounds like a long time. A couple of you families are gonna have two more kids by the time we're done studying this book. Congratulations in advance. I know it sounds like we're going to take some breaks. We'll break it up into chunks so that we, we can kind of keep tracking with it we go. But that's why I definitely get one of these um, because the $5 that this costs is going to be worth it for keeping all your notes for the next two years, two and a half years in one place. Now, the reason we're taking so much time to explore this book slowly, story by story, is because it's important for us to get a sense of where the church, the capital C church came from, how this movement started, what animates it, and what fuels the church, who the key players are, what the church is all about. Because there's a pretty good chance if all you know about the church is what you see now, today's story, and you don't know the backstory or you don't know how to read the backstory, or you don't understand the origin story, then today's story doesn't make much sense. The backstory gives meaning to today's story, helps us make sense of today's story. So today, we're going to start this by jumping into the backstory of this church, Faith Church. We're going to rewind 2,000 years from 2023 to around the year 33 or so. Because our story, Faith Church, is part of a 2,000-year-long History And to make sense of today's story, we've got to get a better sense of the backstory. So today, we're just going to look at the first five verses of Acts chapter 1. And as we walk through these five verses, three huge key themes are going to surface that will help us understand how to read the entirety of the book of Acts. So remember, we're trying to understand the backstory so we have a better idea of how to live in this story. And as we read these first five verses, we're going to get kind of some, some lenses through which to read all of Acts so that it, it makes sense. Basically, I'm going to answer three questions today. So if you're taking notes, you're writing something down. These are the three questions I'm going to try to answer. First question is, what is this? The book of Acts. Okay. 
But what is it? What is the author trying to do in this book? Second big question is, who's the main character? Who's the main character of the book of Acts? And how does that affect the way we read this book overall? And the last question is, where is this story going? What's the point of this story? So what is this? What is Acts? Who's the main character? Where's the story going? If you're ready, we're going to jump in. Pick it up in Acts 1.1, which is on page 1080 of the Black Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Or if you forgot to get an Acts journal, or if, I'm sorry, if you did get an Acts journal, it's right at the beginning. If you forgot, I have one up here that I'd, I want to give away. And since it's Family Worship Sunday, I will give this away to the first middle schooler who can tell me how many deacons were appointed in Acts chapter 6. Seven, I heard it. Who said it? You're not a middle schooler, Ron. Seven, there it is. Max got it. Good job. You ready? All right, remember, it's not cheating. It's just using all available resources to your benefit. All right, let's jump in. Acts 1-1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I, this is the narrator, the author speaking, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, right away, you can tell that this book we call Acts, or as my journal says, the Acts of the Apostles at the top, this book we call Acts is part of something bigger. The author begins with those words, in the first book, implying that this one is at least the second. There's one before it. And the first book in this two-book series is the book of Luke, or the gospel according to Luke, as it might be called in your Bible. And over there, we know that's the one that's connected because the first four verses in that book are also dedicated to the same guy, Theophilus. So Acts, Luke, both dedicated to Theophilus. He's probably a wealthy uh, patron who paid for the author to travel, do research, conduct interviews, and spend the time necessary to write out what the beginning of Luke calls an orderly account of the things that were fulfilled among us, in order that Theophilus can be confident and sure of the stories that he's heard. So you've got a wealthy patron who's like, this story is absolutely capturing my heart, knocking my socks off, whatever you wanna say. I wanna make sure this is really, really true. And he's got the wherewithal to pay for somebody to take a decade or more to just travel, do interviews, collect the stories, collect different documents, find what other churches have, and be able to write it all down in order. That's this guy, Theophilus. And the narrator, the the person writing this, never identifies himself by name, uh, but church tradition and a lot of clues throughout uh, the book of Acts especially tells us this is Luke, a doctor, uh, a, a, a Greek doctor. He didn't know Jesus personally, meaning he didn't meet him uh, while Jesus was alive on earth. But we know he at least traveled with the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He had access to other gospels in the writing of his own. And he tells us he did interviews and talked to people in order to put this story together. The other thing we learned from just the introductory verse, especially verse one, is that Luke, the author, is writing this book 
from the perspective of someone who's already decades into the movement that Jesus started. Meaning, this isn't contemporaneous notes, right? Luke is not writing down exactly what happened as an eyewitness all the time. This isn't, it's also not like a jumbled pile of just uh, random notes that he took or stories that he heard. It's not a bucket of, uh, of like all the stories about the church that I could find and put into one book. This is a very uh, methodical book because Luke is a methodical historian, Now, by the time Luke had finished his research and gotten all of his notes together and he'd figured out the structure that he wants to use for the gospel and for this historical narrative, like we're already uh, into probably about the early 60s, 80, 60. And that's about what the time that Luke is writing all of this down. Now, his gospel, actually, the gospel according to Luke, covers about the first 30 years of Christian history from Jesus's birth to his death and resurrection and his ascension. And then this book, the Acts, covers the next 30 years of history from Jesus' ascension uh, to where we find Paul in Rome preaching the gospel at the very ends of the earth. Now, the point of all of that is that Luke isn't telling us everything he could have told us. Luke isn't telling us absolutely everything. He is not giving us a comprehensive history of the origin of the church. He's giving us a very narrow, very specific, kind of thinly sliced, theologically informed, artistically portrayed account, true, but still artistically portrayed account of the Jesus movement. He's not doing history the way we would tend to use the word, where you need six volumes and a million and a half words to cover the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, Or there's a podcast I listen to called The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps. I know, it started with Thales and Anaximander and Anaximenes, and 422 episodes later, we're only up to Elizabethan England. No gaps. That is not what Luke is doing here. He's not trying to be comprehensive. He's being very theological. And you can think about it like taking pictures or video on your phone. Uh, you, if, you know, you've got this up, you're taking a video. Let's just take a video real quick here. What this video is capturing is everything I'm seeing, but nothing that you're seeing, right? Nothing behind you. And a good cinematographer, a good videographer might be getting different angles and like, yeah, let's get the one with the Bible in the foreground or, or is uh, whatever, moving around and, and showing a very thin slice of what's actually happening in the room. And then a good editor would take all of those clips and not just drop them on a timeline and hit play, but cut them and move them around and intercut them and try to tell a story with the video they have. Luke is more like a a documentarian trying to show us a very thin slice of the early church. And what he's showing us, he's showing us for a reason, for a theological reason. Which means every story in here is in here for a reason. Luke is never filling space. He's never like, oh, I got three feet left on this scroll. I need another story. Let's, uh, oh, I'll include that one that, uh, you know, about Agabus or something like that. No, every story in here is in here for a reason. And every story not in here is not in here for a reason. For instance, we don't, hear anything about any of the missionary movements that go east 
of Jerusalem, just the ones that go up and west over to Rome. Uh, we don't know anything about the, the decade that Paul spent in Tarsus uh, before launching out into ministry. We don't know a thing about it. We don't know what happens to all the Jews who turn to Jesus in chapter 2 and then go back to wherever they're living all across the Roman Empire. Uh, we have no idea who started the church in Antioch. Uh, we're not told. Uh, we don't know what happens to Paul after his imprisonment in Rome. We don't know what happens to Peter after chapter 15. He's just off the scene. Because Luke isn't trying to be comprehensive. He's being intentionally theological. So keep that in mind as we read Acts. Every story matters, and Luke is including stories and structuring stories and ordering stories in order to make a particular point. So every story in here, even the ones that we look at, and we're like, I don't understand what that means. Luke's trying to make a point, a theological point, by including that story. So we're going to get into these as we go through all of these stories. So to answer the first question, if you wrote it down, what is Acts? The answer to that question is Acts is not an epic. It's not a romance. It's not an adventure story. Acts is a theological history. In other words, it's history through the lens of what is God trying to do in the world? Acts is a theological history. That's the answer to the first question, what is Acts? Moving on to the second question, who is Acts about? Who's the main character? It's a question that's worth, worth asking because so many different characters come and go. They're, they're introduced, they show up once, and then they disappear three verses later. Like uh, later in chapter one, we're going to be introduced to this guy, Matthias, right? There were 12 disciples. Judas commits suicide. We need to replace him with someone to get back up to 12. Introduce Matthias. What do we know about Matthias? Nothing. He never shows up again. Okay, Luke, why include that story? We're trying to make a point. We'll get there. We have a guy, Stephen, who shows up just long enough to be martyred. Stephen, he shows up, he serves, he serves really well, he preaches and gets stoned. So if you're going to name a kid Stephen, just keep that in mind. You're, you're asking someone to serve, preach, and then die. Now, we have other characters like Philip. Philip, who we meet, and he meets up with an Ethiopian court official, then disappears from the scene. There's three different guys named Ananias, a prophet, a priest, and a liar. We don't know anything about them. We don't know where they came from. We don't know where they go afterwards. They're just in the story just long enough to move the plot along, and then they're out of the story again. Like I said, even Peter fades out after chapter 15, and Paul's left in, in prison. So this is certainly not the acts of Paul or the acts of Peter, it's not even the acts of all the apostles. It's the acts of two of the apostles plus a whole bunch of others, which is why pretty much everyone agrees that the title, the, the acts of the apostles, is maybe not the best title. Now, what would the best title be? Well, let's take a look at these verses again. Luke writes, in the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And he goes on from there. But the, the phrase I want to circle in on here a moment is the, the phrase, all that Jesus began to do and teach. If the gospel, according to Luke, is what Jesus began to do and teach, Luke's telling us, well, then the acts are what Jesus continues to do and teach. But it's what Jesus continues to do and teach through 
the Holy Spirit. He went on in verse 2. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I know this says the Acts of the Apostles. And and the oldest uh, manuscript of this book that we have that has a title on it has that title, The Acts of the Apostles, for a really specific reason that I won't get into now. I can talk about it in, in Cut for Time. But most everyone agrees the Acts of the Apostles doesn't really capture it. The Acts of Jesus would be better, or the Acts of the risen and exalted Jesus through the Holy Spirit would be even better, but way too long as a title. So a lot of people say, let's just call it the Acts of the Spirit, which is what we're calling this series for the next two and a half years, because this book is all about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church. It's what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit in the church. So who's the main character in the book of Acts? Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus acting through the Holy Spirit. The main character throughout the whole book of Acts is the risen and exalted Jesus acting through the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus through the Spirit who fills believers and and empowers them for ministry and gives them wisdom, gives them visions, gives them joy, directs them, redirects them, calls them into ministry. Hardly a chapter goes by where the Spirit isn't mentioned, filling this person or empowering that person or directing this person or making something happen. 60 times the Holy Spirit shows up. First time, very beginning. Verse two, Jesus is giving his commands to the church through the Spirit. And that pattern of Jesus working through the Spirit in the church or working by the power of the Spirit through the church in the world, that pattern shows up over and over and over again throughout the book. Actually, all the way through, Jesus and his church are so closely interrelated that Luke often speaks about Jesus doing something when it's actually the church that is doing what Luke is describing. A couple of examples in Peter's first sermon. Peter says that after Jesus' resurrection, God sent Jesus to the Jews first But Jesus has already ascended to heaven as this action that Peter's talking about is happening. And it's actually through the preaching of the church and the church living out the good news that Jesus is sent. Paul says something really similar 20-odd chapters later when he says that Jesus is proclaiming light to the Gentiles. Well, that's true, but it's actually the members of the church that are doing the proclaiming. See, Jesus and his church are so closely intertwined that when Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, he doesn't say, Jesus, or he doesn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So who is the book of Acts about? That was the second question. What is this book? It's a theological history. Who is this book about? Who's the main character? It's not Peter, it's not Paul. It's not about any one church. The main character of the book of Acts is the the risen and exalted Jesus working in the world through the Holy Spirit. So in every single story in this book, we'll have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus doing in this story? Even when Jesus isn't mentioned or the Spirit isn't mentioned, this, this is the acts of Jesus through the Spirit. So what is Jesus doing in this story? What is the Holy Spirit doing in this story? Because the book of Acts, 
I'm going to expand on what I said earlier. The book of Acts is a theological history of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through the Holy Spirit in the church. Acts is a theological history. It's not a comprehensive history of the church without any gaps, but it's a theological history of what Jesus continues to do and teach through the Holy Spirit in the church. Now that brings us to our third question. So, okay, where's the story going? What is Jesus doing and teaching? You know, towards what end? What's the point of the story? Let's keep going and, and take a look at verse three. So verse three, Jesus uh, has presented himself alive. This is what Luke is saying as he's narrating the, uh, the beginning of the book of Acts and also the end of the book of Luke. They're very similar. They, they kind of overlap. It was a, an ancient way of, of noting that these two books are connected to one another by overlapping the ending of one and the beginning of the other. So he's saying here in verse three, Jesus presented himself alive to them, to the apostles, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now in this brief overlap between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, where the two parts of the story overlap one another, Luke gives us more detail uh, than any other author does, uh, any, any other author in the New Testament does, about what Jesus was doing in his time between his resurrection and his ascension. That's about 40 days, Luke tells us here in the, in the Acts. And in those 40 days, he's showing up to them over and over and over again, speaking and teaching about the kingdom of God. Now that phrase, the kingdom of God, is hugely important to Luke in both the gospel and in, in Acts. Uh, in, the, in the gospel, the kingdom is just front and center. Jesus is showing up, showing the upside down nature of the kingdom over and over and over again. In Acts, the phrase doesn't actually show up all that often, but every time it does, it's a marker. It's there for a very specific reason. Because every time we read again the phrase, the kingdom of God, the gospel message has expanded its reach and expanded its influence again and again and again. Twice the phrase kingdom of God is used in the beginning, very beginning of Acts, in verse 3 and verse 6. And then twice again it's used in the very end of the book of Acts, bookending the book, telling us what the whole story in the middle is about. It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus begins the, his acts in the church through the spirit. He begins it by teaching for 40 days about the coming kingdom of God. And then at the very end, Paul is preaching. He's in Rome in prison, but he's preaching the kingdom of God. That's what the book of Acts is all about. We know because Luke bookends it this way and develops it all the way through. So Acts as a book is, here I'm gonna expand on that sentence again. It's a theological history that's what this book is. Acts is a theological history of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through the Spirit in the church to work out the kingdom of God in this world. Acts is a theological history of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through the Holy Spirit in the church as it works out the kingdom of God in this world. See, Luke is, is very intentional with how he structures his writings. 
actually, and I don't have time to get into it right now, but Acts itself and the Gospel of Luke both follow the exact same pattern in the telling of the stories. There's a baptism at the beginning, and then it, I just said I didn't have time to go into it, so I'm not going to. I'll cover that and cut for time. Um, but there, Luke is very intentional about how he's structuring this to make his point, because again, he's making a theological history of the kingdom of God. And the story that he's continuing here is the story of Jesus in the gospel beginning the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom, saying, I'm here, the kingdom is here in me, I'm its king, and then Jesus is crucified. And you would normally think that marks the end of his reign, but it's actually the beginning. His crucifixion was his coronation. His resurrection was his exaltation. And because of his death and resurrection, Jesus now rules as king over all of creation. And Jesus, as king of the kingdom of God, is working itself out through the entire book of Acts as the kingdom expands. First in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But it doesn't just expand geographically, and, and, but yet stay within just Jews. As the gospel expands geographically, it also expands ethnically and culturally, beginning in Jerusalem, yeah, with, with Jews and with proselytes, uh, those who, had, who were not Jewish by birth but had said, I want to observe the law and become as Jewish as I can. It begins in Jerusalem with Jews and proselytes, and then it expands to Judea and Samaria with Jews and proselytes and Samaritans and God-fearers, folks who have said, like, I'm really attracted to Israel's God, but... I don't want to do the whole Torah law observance thing. But they begin coming to this movement, understanding Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. And then it expands again to the ends of the earth where Jews and proselytes and Samaritans and God-fearers and even Gentiles who have no interest in the God of Israel are finding new life and community in the, the resurrection of the Messiah of a little nation they barely paid any attention to before this. The gospel is expanding both geographically and ethnically and culturally all across the whole book. But before the apostles, the remaining 11 apostles, can successfully take that good news, good news of the kingdom of God, and begin the expansion project that I think Jesus just talked to them about for 40 days, before they can begin, they need resources, help. Specifically, Luke calls it power from on high. At least that's what he says at the end of Luke. In the beginning of Acts, he writes, now while staying with them, the apostles, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's where the introduction leaves us. With these 11 guys huddled up in a room in Jerusalem, actually there's the 11 and then there's another 109 that are with them. The uh, Acts later says about 120 or so. At the end of 40 days of like kingdom of God boot camp, where Jesus has been telling them what the kingdom is and how it's going to work itself out, and they're eager to get started, but they don't yet know that they've got to wait 10 more days. Jesus is going to leave. The Spirit is going to come and empower them to begin this ministry of the kingdom of God, and we're going to dig into all of that next week. 
And I'm really resisting the urge to jump into it now because I know Pastor Jeff is super excited to tackle the next passage next week. So we leave that for him. But this week, at the very beginning of two and a half years of studying Acts, I want to reiterate for us what we need to remember about this book if we're going to read this book well. We need to remember first what Acts is. It's not somebody's class notes. It's a theological history, methodically and intentionally put together. It's not about the apostles and the evangelists and the missionaries, and it's not about any one of the churches. It's it's not about any of that. It's about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through the Spirit in the church. And the whole point of the story is about the kingdom of God. Of God. The point of the story is about how Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in his church out into the world. And I think, I believe it is vitally important for us to understand that story in order to make sense of today's story. Because the backstory makes sense of today's story. Think about this church, Faith Church. We started in 1964. We're almost 60 years old. And I was curious who was a baby that first year, so I looked it up in the app to see who was 60. Born in 1964, so I know who you are. Happy birthday. But uh, our story, the story of Faith Church, doesn't start in 1964, right? Because we were planted by another church. So our story begins with that church, except that church was planted by another church. So really our story begins with that church, except of course that church was started by another church. So I suppose you could say that our story goes back to their story. And at some point we're gonna lose the thread and it's gonna be like one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. But we can rewind all the way back 2,000 years ago. No, Faith's church started on, I was gonna say page one, but it's technically page six of this journal. Faith Church started right here. Because to be a church is to be a part of the story of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through the Holy Spirit about the kingdom of God in Indianapolis or anywhere else, right? Whether we're in the middle of nowhere or the ends of the earth, to be a church, what we're doing today, like right now this moment here at Faith, What we're doing is part of the ongoing story of how Jesus is continuing to teach and to work through the Holy Spirit about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is active in us through the Spirit, empowering us and filling us and directing us and calling us and redirecting us and leading us and forming us into people whose lives are shaped by his life, proclaiming the kingdom of God and suffering for that kingdom's sake. And yet most Sundays, I think I show up just to sing a couple songs and hear an inspirational talk, hopefully inspirational, and like try to get home before the lunch rush. But Faith Church, we don't exist for ourselves. We're not here to build our own little kingdom. We are part of a huge story. 
There's a famous ethicist who in the 1970s wrote this landmark book that really changed the, uh, uh, the face of how ethics was thought about and taught in the academy. And I recognize when I say famous ethicist, uh, those two words are a contradiction and you've probably never heard of the guy. And that's fine, but he was asked this great question uh, or he put this theoretical out where he said, if somebody comes to me and asks me, what should I do? Remember, he's talking about ethics. So he's like, doesn't matter the situation, but somebody brings me a situation and says, what should I do? He said, my first question to them is, I can't tell you what to do unless I know what story you think you're part of. I can't tell you what to do unless you know what story you're part of because knowing the story makes sense of today's story, makes sense of what we do in today's story. We are here as a church not because we like each other, though it's great that we do, mostly, I think. We're not here as a church because this is the most convenient place for us to go or because we have nothing better to do on a Sunday morning on race weekend. We're not here for any of those reasons. We're here because Jesus is here, because he's the one who's created the church and is creating this church. We're here because the risen Jesus is the Lord of all of creation, and he's continuing to move in his church. And you are here, whatever your age. You are here because you are part of something that began 2,000 years ago as a persecuted minority Jewish messianic movement that has blossomed into the largest multi-ethnic and multicultural movement in the history of the world. You are part of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through his spirit in the church to bring about the kingdom of, of God in the world. It's a pretty great story, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that while we are so often tempted to want to create ourselves out of whole cloth, out of nothing, to create ourselves anew, that you have given us the blessing of a backstory. That we don't have to try to figure out again, what's the church and what are we supposed to do and why are we here or any of that? Because you've told us, you've given us the story of why we are here and what we are to do. So Father, I pray uh, at the beginning of this study and now for the, the years to come as we walk through the, these stories of those who are passionately following you and proclaiming the kingdom of God in Jesus. As we walk through these stories, Father, connect us to the bigger story of what you're doing in the world that we might make sense of why we are here now at this church on this day. Help us to find ourselves in your story, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.